Please welcome Bay Forrest. Well, I'm glad to be here with you guys. This is impressive to see that there's two chapels just to get everybody in, and I appreciate you being here. If this is one of the ones you could have missed, I'm glad you came today and that you chose to be here for this one. Probably some of you are a little bummed out just because you're getting back from your spring break and you can think of some things you'd rather be doing than sitting in a chapel right now, but hopefully we'll make it where it won't be too... Uh, torturous for you during this time. I want you to know, I told the other group, and I really do mean this, and I, I say this only because I want to encourage you with the choice of the school you've, uh, you've chosen to go to. I have my top five schools across the United States of the favorite schools I have of anywhere in the country, Christian schools to go to, and I've never even spoken to you guys at this school before. I've spoken here for a teen event before, and I've just met a lot of you through the Brothers Keepers groups that, uh, that travels around at, in the summertime and uh, with different ones that I've met at different times in ministry places, but I want you to know that I consider Iwu is not only in the top five, so far I'd say you're either one or two with another one. I won't even tell you what the other school is, but it's a really great school uh, that you guys are right there at the top with. So I, I really want to encourage you. You've made a great choice here as far as I'm concerned. It's a super school, and continue on to get as good an education as you can while you're here. You've already met my wife, and so I'm not going to try to uh, uh, go any more into detail with that. You can see that God is full of grace and mercy, that I have somebody as good looking as that, and that's a classic example of God's grace in my life, but I want to talk to you this morning about pet peeves. Have you got a pet peeve? Have you got something that really bothers you, something that really grosses you out, something that you go, man, I hate it when they do that. Oh, man, I wish they wouldn't do that. Or something that maybe it doesn't gross you out, but you just don't like it. I found out about my wife's pet peeve just after we'd been married for two weeks. That's a bad time to find out about your wife's pet peeve. You don't necessarily want to do it at that point. Well, it turned out what was happening, she was going to school trying to finish in three and a half years so she could get her teaching degree and start supporting me as a big, dumb athlete in uh, college at Grand Canyon University and I was going into my junior year and I was working that summer in a warehouse for sending out stuff to banks all over. It was hot. 18 days in a row. It was a record. 18 days in a row is over 115 degrees in Phoenix. That's nasty when that happens. And I'm in an unair conditioned warehouse and that's bad enough, but I'm working with a guy that really is obnoxious. And so I go home and I tell Peg about it one day after work. Well, when I get home, she happens to be in the shower, so I'm talking to her through the bathroom door and I'm telling her what's going on and I'm saying, Peg, this guy is so gross. I get so tired of this stuff. And Peg's already saying, I don't know if I want to hear this or not. You know, and I didn't realize that she had a bit of a weak stomach. And so I'm saying, oh, this is cool. Let me tell you about this. And so I said, this guy is really gross. He's constantly clearing his throat and bringing stuff up, you know, and doing that kind of stuff. You know, and I won't get too carried away because you might have the same problem my wife did with that. And it really grossed her out. And she said, Bay, I don't want to hear that. Don't talk about that. That's really gross to me. Let's not go there. At this point, I'm going, that's funny, all right. You know, I'm a stupid idiot. I don't know. I've only been married for two weeks, and I don't know how you're, what you're supposed to do with your wife. And so I said, no, really, Peg, this guy's bad. And I, I tell her again what happened. I do something like one of that kind of thing, you know. And she's going, Bay, don't do that. It really makes me sick. I'm going, this is great, all right. You know, so now I'm really getting into it. I know, moron. It was right there all over my forehead. And at this point, I said, no, Peg. And I said, and I drew one up from about my toenails. You know, I said, it's kind of like this. 
And I brought this thing up there and all of a sudden in the shower I hear, and Peg threw up in the shower. Do you know what it's like to be married for two weeks and make your wife puke? That's not cool. You just don't, you don't want to go there. You know, that's not the way it's supposed to start out with that there. I found out the hard way what her pet peeve was. Well, my pet peeve involves how tall I am. I like being tall and it was great playing pro ball and, you know, basketball and all that was great to have the size. I just don't like it when people go nuts over how big you are, you know, when it's like, whoa, look how big he is or anything. It's like people don't think tall people can hear. You know, they'll stand right next to you and go, wow, look at him, he's huge, and they'll yell at you. And it's like, I can hear you. You know, I'm right next to him there. But they don't, it's like they can't, they don't think we can hear anything or we're so far away that, you know, we're not gonna pick it up. And I just hate that kind of thing. I hate being in lines where I stick out. I don't, I don't like to stick out in a line, you know. And so Peg's really good about it. If we're going and standing in line to get tickets for something or whatever, she'll go get the tickets while I can stand to the side. Because, I mean, here it is in the line. It's like, and I'm just sitting there like, yeah, I'm the big dummy, you know, and it's just a little uncomfortable to be standing in those lines like that, and I just don't like it when people make a big deal out of that. Now, we've got a good friend. Her, her name is Orion Tricky, and she's about 6'5", and Orion's a really neat communicator, speaker in ministry, plays a great guitar, but she never played basketball at 6'5". Now, she's about 40 now, so she wouldn't be playing at this point, but she, she never did play, and one of her real pet peeves, or her main pet peeve, is when people come up to her and ask her, did you play basketball, you know, because of her being so tall? You know what her answer is? I love it. She'll look down and say, no, did you play miniature golf? I just love that. You know, that's just great. <laughs> that's just a classic, you know? I mean, that'll work there. But mine, my problem is when, when somebody comes up and wants to ask me this really funny question, you know, if you're going to ask a tall person this hilarious question that nobody's ever thought of before, you're the first time ever that's been thought of, you're going to ask somebody, how's the weather up there? As if it's the first time I've ever heard that one about a thousand times. And so when somebody asks me that stupid question, how's the weather up there? You know what I'd love to do sometime? <laughs> I'd love to look down and say, when they say, how's the weather up there? Say, strong chance of thunder showers and then belch and spit on them. Wouldn't that be great to do that? <laughs> you know, you know, I wouldn't. I'm a Christian. I wouldn't do that to them. But I mean, you know, I've been tempted at times. They're going to be funny. Why can't I be funny back the other direction, you know? And that's my pet peeve. I just don't like it when that happens. Did you know that Jesus had a pet peeve, though? And you go, what are you talking about? Jesus had a pet peeve. He had no pet peeves. Yeah, he had something he really had a problem with. And we know about it from Matthew chapter 23. In Matthew chapter 23, there are 39 verses. Jesus in 20 of those verses talks about the people directly to the people that he has a problem with. They're, he has a real pet peeve problem. It really bothers him. And you say, well, how could that be? Jesus loved everybody. Yeah, he loved everybody, but he had a major problem with the sin in a particular group of people's lives. That was the Pharisees. I'm sure you know who I'm talking about. They're the ones that wore those long, white, flowing robes. They were the ones that were so together, and they walked around, you know, like they knew it all. And everybody tried to, show, or they wanted everybody to show them respect. When they went to the banquets, they got the first seat way up at the front, and it was like, oh, here comes the Pharisees. Oh, yeah. And everybody's showing, showing them all this respect, and everybody's making a big deal out of it. They liked that. They wanted to be seen by everybody and known as so together and so spiritual. But see, Jesus had a problem with them, and he saw what was going on not only outwardly, but inwardly. And he talks about it when he talked about those Pharisees. In those 20 verses, he's talking about them seven times. He calls them hypocrites. That's pretty serious. Seven different times he calls somebody a hypocrite. If you ever been called a hypocrite, you know, that's not something you want. Hey, you hypocrite. Nobody wants to be called a hypocrite. We don't like being around them. Nobody wants to be around a person that's uh, hypocritical, and they're, they're acting this way one time, and then they come over here, and they act this way. Nobody likes 
to be around that. And Jesus said, you guys are a bunch of hypocrites. Five times he called them blind or called them blind guides. Can you picture that, a blind guide? Uh, when we were in Africa for five years, my wife and I were there as missionaries. We had our kids there. I wanted to take my son, Adam, on a trip up Mount Kilimanjaro. It's really up there, you know, 19,000 foot. And so we thought it'd be cool to do that together as a, uh, a father and son situation. And so I was waiting for him to get older. It would have been weird though, if I'd have shown up for that trip and then, and we paid to go up there and you gotta have a guide to go up because it's really, it gets dangerous when you get up to the top and there's a lot of ice and snow and you better stay on the trail or you can get in a lot of trouble. I'd have really wondered if they said, okay, here's your guide to take you up. And the guy coming over to take us up had a cane and was going, where are they? Tell me where they're at. I'm ready to take them. I don't want a blind guide taking me up the side of the mountain. If he can't see the way, then that's not somebody I want to follow up Mount Kilimanjaro. And Jesus said, you guys are like a bunch of blind guides. You don't even know the way and you're trying to show other people the way. Then he went on and he called them fools, serpents, a brood of vipers. He was, wasn't being real nice, but then he got down and he got nasty. Then he called them whitewashed tombs filled with dead men's bones. Now that's getting down there. And the reason it was is for a Jew and especially for a Pharisee, if you were to touch dead men's bones, if you touched a grave or what was in the grave, if you touched a dead body, you were immediately defiled for seven days. That meant that you couldn't go back into the temple where they got all of their positive strokes, where they got all of the respect shown to them, where they got to be involved in all the things that they liked because it made them look good. They couldn't do that for seven days. It also meant for seven days, you couldn't have sexual relations with your wife. That's enough to keep me from touching dead men's bones right there. I'm not messing with that, you know. And they, these guys were motivated. They weren't going to go there. They weren't touching that one. So they had to be careful not to touch dead men's bones. So what you would do back during that time is you would whitewash the outside of the tombs. If it was on the side of a wall, you painted it white. If it was in the ground, you painted it white. So that if you were walking along at night and the moon was out, it'd show you enough. You'd be walking around, you'd go, whoa, hey, there's a tomb, watch out. And they wouldn't touch it to avoid being defiled. That was serious for them to stay away from. So for Jesus to say, you guys are a bunch of whitewashed tombs filled with dead men's bones, that was serious. That was heavy duty for him to tell him that. And what Jesus was saying was, you look really good on the outside, but inside, you're full of dead stuff. You stink. And for Jesus to say that was heavy for them to, him to say that to the spiritual leaders of the time, the Pharisees, but you know what I would say? I think we're an awful lot like that ourselves. Have you, ever, have you ever smelled anything dead? I was just talking with Joel, the guy that was up here saying, you talk about an idiot, this guy's crazy, man. You know what he did? He went out, and this is the best thing I ever heard of. Sorry, Joel, I know that sounds mean to say that, but you are to do this. He went on a roadkill, what was it? A roadkill roundup, I think he called it. It's the craziest thing I've ever heard of. You get in groups and you see who can go get the most roadkill. And you, and you put it in a bag and you collect. You get 100 points for a deer, 50 points for a raccoon. You know, what are you talking about, man? That's crazy. I mean, getting dead stuff and putting it. You guys are weird in Indiana if anybody else does. I don't know if anybody else is doing that, but that's crazy. And his team won. And then they, they dropped it off at, the, at a Ball State frat house and left it there for them. Whoa, that's weird. You ever smelled anything really dirty like that and it stinks really bad? You know, you're driving along in your car, all of a sudden you got the, it's a convertible, you got the windows down, you go, whoa, man, that stinks, you know? When I finished playing for the Suns, 
we had a little bit of money left over from that. It was back before you make the kind of money you do now, but we had enough that we could build a big house in Colorado. We moved from, Cal from Arizona to Colorado. And when we got up to Colorado, my dad was a builder there in this small town. We picked a town to move to 7,000 foot elevation, beautiful, 270 degrees of the Rocky Mountains all the way around at 14,000 foot uh, peaks all the way around our home where we're at there. It's a beautiful spot. And I picked a, a lot that would allow for a view of all of those mountains all the way around in front. And I had my dad build me a big three-story home there. And it was a nice place. The bottom floor was a, a garage that you could drive into and it had a guest house at the back of that. Then it had two full stories that were all done in aspen paneling all the way around. And the front kicked out in windows and all you had was view out the windows all the way across the front of this house. It was a nice place. It was so nice that people would stop after we built the house and we were the first ones to build in the area. People would stop and they would take pictures. We'd see them out, out the window. We'd go, oh, somebody's stopping there. And they'd be taking pictures of our home because it looked so nice. And sometimes they'd even come up and they'd knock on the door and they'd say, listen, we saw your house. It's a beautiful place. And we were just, we're thinking about building in the area too. Would you mind if we checked out the inside too? We'd like to see what you've done. And there, you know, everybody's pretty laid back and so we'd go oh yeah come on in you know we'd take them in and we'd show them take them on a tour of the house and everything and we were proud of the place it was a beautiful place and we didn't mind people seeing it we were thankful God had blessed us with it and it was great to have this place well this went on for just a little while until one night my wife and I were laying in bed and we're laying there and all of a sudden we hear and we had rats crawling around in the walls of our brand new home now that's a problem for my wife She's not real big on rats, okay? She didn't want them in the walls or anywhere in her house at all. I don't like them either. And she's saying, Bay, you're going to do something with those rats. I don't want those in there. And I went, all right, because I was a hunter. I'd move to Colorado to be a hunter, man. I'm going to kill those rats, you know, and I was going after them. <laughs> so I got my traps, big old rat traps, you know, and I put the cheese and the peanut butter and all kinds of stuff on them. I was going to get them, you know, and I put them out all over the place. I couldn't catch them. They wouldn't, they wouldn't go for it. And so then I thought, all right, you want to play that way? Okay. It's war now, you know? And so now I go to decon. Yeah, I'm putting the decon out where they come and they eat the decon, you know, and it makes them sick and they go outside and they die. You know, they won't go for it. I don't know if they're ninja rats or what the deal is, but these things will not go for anything I've put out there. I can't catch them. And my wife's saying, Bay, you either get those rats out of there or I'm going to live with your mom and dad because I'm not staying in this house with rats in it. And I realize I got a problem. So I go to my dad and I said, Daddy, you got to do something. You got to take care of these rats. And he said, I'll take care of those suckers. And he came down and he got into my basement. He drove down, his, he drove his truck and backed it into the, the garage. And then he took a hole saw and cut a hole about that big in the sheetrock. The garage had sheetrock in it. The, first, the next two floors all had paneling in it, uh, wood aspen paneling in it. And he cut a hole about that big around. He took a vacuum cleaner hose and he stuck it into the wall of the, of the garage. Then he took it, started up his truck and put the other end into the exhaust on the end of his truck. And it's like, I'm gonna get him, you know? And he let that go in there. Well, we had all cleared out of the house so there wasn't anybody in the house at all. So there wasn't gonna be dangerous. And we just let it go for quite a while of kicking this exhaust up into the walls of our house. And he said, I'm gonna kill those rascals. And that night, after we'd aired everything out, we're laying in bed, and my wife and I are going, oh, man, this is so nice. It was so quiet. Nothing. You couldn't hear anything at all. And we're going, way to go, Daddy. You're the man. I was so excited about what he'd done. Until about a week later, one night, we're laying in bed, and Peg goes, what is that? And I'm going, I swear it's not me. You know? <laughs> And she says, what in the world? And then I went, oh no, oh no. Daddy killed the rats. 
But they didn't have carbon monoxide detectors that said, it's carbon monoxide, run for it, every man for himself, and take off and leave the house. They holed up in our house, in the walls of our house, and it killed every one of them in the walls of our house. And then they started rotting and smelling, and the smells coming out into our house. It wasn't long after that, a couple days after that, Peg's down in the kitchen, I'm upstairs, and she screams, Meg, get out of here! I thought she'd cut herself for sure. I go running down in the kitchen, what's the matter, what's the matter? And she's pointing under her stove. And I looked, and there were maggots crawling out from under her stove. Ladies, you think I was getting a lot of good home-cooked meals about that time? That was the end of that. No more meals for me. She's not cooking it. That's it. The kitchen shut. Closed for good at this point. And she was out of there. She didn't want any part of maggots in the kitchen and smelly, stinky crud in this beautiful home. You know what the crazy thing was? People were still driving by going, nice home, taking pictures and, and looking at it. And they were snapping the pictures and all. They'd still come up to the door, knock on the door. Hi, we saw your house. We're building around the corner. We love your home. Would you mind? if we come and look at the inside too and we go, no, today probably wouldn't be a real good day. We don't want anybody checking out our house. It was embarrassing. It stunk inside. I didn't want anybody to see what was going on inside our house. It still looked really good on the outside, but inside it was full of crud. And you know what? I know what that's like because that's what happened with me when I went to Grand Canyon College. I went to a school about the size of this one now, but when I went there, there were only 800 going to the school. Small Christian school in Phoenix, Arizona. I turned down all the major universities. I had 130 different scholarship offers all over the country. You name the school, I could have gone there. North Carolina, Marquette, Maryland, UCLA, USC, all of the, the top schools everywhere. I had scholarship offers. I decided not to go there and to go to Grand Canyon College and get the Christian education. I'd been raised in a Christian home. I thought that'd be great to get the Christian education, all of that. And I went there as a high school All-American and everybody's going, no way, base coming to Grand Canyon. Wow, that's awesome. And here the 610 guy shows up to go to school at Grand Canyon. It really made a name in, in the area and everybody was talking about it and all. And you know what? I looked really good to everybody on the outside. It's like, wow, I can't believe Bay's come here. He's given up all of that to come to this school. That's so cool. But they didn't see what was going on on the inside. See, on the outside, I wanted everybody to really be impressed with me because I was the Christian kid that came to Grand Canyon. But inside, they didn't know some of the stuff that I thought about. They didn't know some of the things that were going on as I was watching movies that I wish now I could just get it out of my mind. Crud that I put in there. It's like, why did I do that? Things I talked about with my friends, that I, uh, the dirty jokes that I'd laugh at or whatever around just a few, and everybody else thought that I was so together. And they didn't see what was happening with that. Outside, I look good. But Jesus was saying, Bay, you need to clean up. Inside, you're not looking so good. And Jesus had an answer for that. He said, you got to get cleaned up because it makes me sick. What are you talking about? It makes me sick. How about Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 and 16? Remember what it says? I know your deeds, that you're neither hot or cold. I wish you were either hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I love what it says in the King James. In the King James it says, I will spew thee out of my mouth. That sounds so cool, you know, say, I will spew thee out of my mouth. The, what it's talking about there, I will spew thee out of my mouth, that's Jesus saying, it makes me want to launch. It makes me want to go talk to Ralph. It makes me want to puke. It makes me sick to my stomach when you act one way and then you're really this way here. I see on the outside you're looking really good in front of all the right people. When you're around those professors and everything, you're looking good. But when you go goof around with your friends, I know what you talk about. I know what's going on in your mind. I know how you're fooling around with your girlfriend and your boyfriend. I know what's happened with all of that. I know all the garbage that's taking place. And I've asked you to be different than that. 
And Jesus has a plan for how to clean us up. He says, it makes me sick, just like it made Peg sick with her pet peeve. Jesus' pet peeve makes him sick too. And you know what? For some reason, I just don't want to make Jesus sick. There's something about that where, yeah, my goal in life, my ministry is to make Jesus sick. That just doesn't sound like a very good ministry. You know, I don't think I want to be involved in that one there, and I don't think you do either. Nobody wants to be known for making Jesus sick, and some of us need to do some cleaning up. And Jesus tells us how in Matthew chapter 23. Matthew 23, in verses 24 and 25, listen to what it says. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee? First clean the, out, or the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. Do you hear what he's saying? Jesus is saying, yeah, you're cleaning up, but Pharisees, you're looking really good on the outside. Everybody's so impressed with you because you're so spiritual. But inside, I know what's going on. You need to clean up on the inside first. He saw the sin in their lives, the way they got caught up in pride and arrogance, and, and they were cheating the people, and they were ripping people off. When the priests, when they were doing the sacrifices, it was just an just a absolute circus as far as what was going on in mocking God. And Jesus said, I see all of that. I know what's happening with that. And he sees it with us too. Guys, there's a bunch of you in this room, and I know, and I don't have a clue who it is, so it's good, because I, I can't point fingers. Thank goodness I don't have to look and see this. But there's a bunch of you messing with pornography big time, and it's killing you. It's killing you. You can get on the internet so easy and you can just sort of jump there every once in a while and check that out or you're going and putting stuff in your mind and God's saying, don't do that. Don't go there. I got a better plan for you than that. Don't get into that stuff. Ladies, some of you, you get together and you talk about each other, you know, the gossip stuff that goes on and all that stuff that happens. And God says, no, don't go there. Don't do that. And he knows what we're thinking. He knows the crud that goes on in the inside. And he says, you need to clean up. You know what he's talking about when he says, first clean the inside of the cup and dish? Have you ever had chocolate milk that gets residued in the bottom of a cup? You're not going to get that out if you take that cup and just dunk it up and down like this in water and don't get it on the inside. The outside's going to get good and clean. That's what he says. Yeah, you're cleaning the outside of the cup, but inside it's still dirty. How do you get the inside clean? You got to immerse it. You got to get it completely under the water and fill it with something that'll clean it out and scrub the inside. And Jesus gave us the answer in 1 John 1, 9. He said, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, to clean us up of all unrighteousness. That's a good verse for me. That's a good one for me. Because any time that I mess up, anytime last night I was speaking over at Gas City at an Upwards, ba upwards Basketball uh, program. And just before it started, uh, I ended up, well, no, just right at the end of it, I ended up snapping at Peg, saying something to her. It just because of the way she said it, I said something back, and it was so wrong. It was like, what was I doing? But I left. I'm a tough man, you know, man. I don't, I don't have to worry about what I say to my wife until I got in the other room, and I was sitting there for a minute, and the Holy Spirit was going, hey, what are you doing, man? You can't talk to her like that. You don't snap at her like that. Praise God that I've got First John 1, 9, that right quick I was able to say, oh, God, I'm sorry for that. And then I could go running back to Peg and say, Peg, I'm sorry, that, that was wrong. I didn't mean to say that. that. That came out wrong. And would you forgive me for that? And we need to take advantage of that First John 1, 9 when it happens in our life. And then it cleans us up. And then we have that clean slate where we're right before God. And God's saying, I'm waiting for you to clean it up. I'm waiting for you to get it right with me. This morning, is God speaking to you about some things that maybe you need to clean up?
Maybe there's some of you here that need to do more than even clean up. Maybe it's a big time deadly trap that you're caught in. You're going to the Christian school. Man, I've got a minor in Bible. Man, I'm, I'm getting all the New Testament, Old Testament, all that kind of stuff. And you're lost. You don't have a relationship with Christ. You've never Christ. You're playing the game. My brother did it. Five years old. Walked an aisle, prayed a prayer. My grandfather was preaching. They did the whole works with all of that. Man, I mean, he got baptized. He got everything. And I, we were in a good, strong Christian church. By the time he was a senior in high school, he was the worship and praise leader at the church. Then went four years to Christian college with me. I heard him tell other people how they could be saved. Told them all about all of that. And then after four years of the Christian college, I saw my brother become the worship and praise leader of our church. And then at age 30, I saw my brother stand up one night when the Holy Spirit was speaking and say, it's a lie. It's a lie. I've got him here, but I've never put him here. And that night, my brother got saved. And oh, you ought to see the difference in my brother's life. He was falling for the deadly trap, the deadliest trap of all. What is that one? Oh, just be good. Just do the right thing. Oh, I believe in God. <laughs> You think because you believe in God, that's okay? James 2.19 says, you say you believe in God, good for you. So do the demons, so much they tremble at the very mention of his name. Believing in God doesn't save you. Surrendering your life to Jesus saves you. Have you done that? Have you confessed that sin for the first time, made it right with your master and given him control of your life? Because you may be playing a game that's big time deadly and can trap you. Or you may be saved here this morning and say, hey, I know I'm saved, man, get off of that one. Okay, but is there some crud that's making Jesus sick? Is there some stuff going on in your life that he's saying, that's for you. What Bay's talking about this morning, that's for you. You know I've wanted you to clean that up. You've got to get out of that pornography. You've got to get away from that relationship. You've got to quit, quit playing that game. You've got to quit listening to that music. Man, that's messing you up, and it, does, it goes against everything that I stand for. I don't know what it is, but let the Holy Spirit speak to you. The Holy Spirit wants to talk to you this morning, if you'd be willing to listen. Some of you may not be willing to listen, but for those that would be willing to, all I'm asking is this morning, would you just bow your heads right now, right where you're at? Would you bow your heads? And if this morning you would say, you know what, babe, I'm willing to listen. If God speaks to me about something, maybe he already is, and you know, he's just going, oh, that's for you. That's for you. You need that. And if he's speaking to you this morning, would you listen to what it is that he's talking to you about? Too many times we talk to God. We're real good at telling what we want. God, bless me with this. Give me this. I need this. And we talk to him and ask all these things. How about listening? Can we listen? Isn't it great that God can listen to every one of us this morning at the same time? And he's paying attention right now. If you'd be willing to listen as he speaks to you and shows you areas that possibly need to get cleaned up in your life. If he speaks to you this morning, would you be willing to apply 1 John 1, 9 and clean the inside of the cup and dish so that you're so filled up with the Spirit of God as you ask him to come and cleanse you and fill you up with his Spirit so that you just overflow to where you're splashing Jesus on people around you? Would you be willing to ask him to do so this morning or maybe if you don't have that relationship you need to just surrender your life to him this morning all out say God I'm playing a game I'm like Bay's brother I've never done that I've never dealt with that I've never given you complete control of my life put all of my trust in you yeah I can say all the right things but I've never given myself over to you and maybe you need to take time for that this morning God's waiting and he's saying oh come on come on right now would you do that Maybe you just need to confess some of the crud that you're filling up with. Philippians 4.8 says, Fill your minds with those things that are good and that deserve praise, things that are true, noble, right, pure, lovely, and honorable. Is that what you're filling up with? Things that are true? Are they noble? Are they right? Are they pure? Are they lovely? Are they honorable? That's what we're supposed to be putting into our minds. What are you putting in your mind? 
Maybe God's saying, hey, it's time to start getting serious about doing what you say you do as far as loving me. Would you love me enough to put me first? If he's speaking to you this morning, would you listen to him? And I want to encourage you with one other thing. As you, just before I give you some time to listen to God in quiet, remember that a true confession of sin means repentance. The first thing Jesus ever said in ministry, the first command he made was repent. And repentance, a good example of it is a 180 degree turn from sin to God. But there's three parts to that repentance. And I want you to, to think about this as you pray. Would you be willing to have all three parts of repentance? Repentance is turning from sin to God all the way 180 degrees the other direction. But it involves three parts. First of all, it's a change of mind. Will you in your mind say, God, I acknowledge with you. I see. I agree with you that this is sin. It's wrong. I know it's wrong. I shouldn't be involved in this. I shouldn't be doing this. Or maybe it's a, I should be doing this. Maybe you haven't had a, you're not having consistent quiet times. You're not meeting with God. You're not giving him the time he wants. And God's saying, please, I want to have time with you. And in your mind, you would say, I admit, I agree with you, God, that this is not right. I need to make this adjustment. Secondly, along with being a change of mind, it's a change of heart. In your heart, would you say, oh God, I don't want to be that way. I choose with you to turn from that sin, I want to turn to you, and in my heart I know it grieves me the way I know it grieves you that I'm involved in sin. I don't want to be involved in that. I turn away from that and I turn to you. But thirdly, and this is really important, along with a change of mind and a change of heart, this is so important because too many times we don't talk about this. You don't have preachers preach about it enough. And that's, there needs to be a change of life. If you're really saved, there will be a change of life. He'll change your life because there needs to be adjustments. And if the Holy Spirit's living in you, he will help you make adjustments and you'll live different. You won't want to be involved in all that crud. Yeah, you got a flesh side of you, the carnal side that's drawing you there, but the spirit will say, oh, no, 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 don't go there. And it'll make you miserable if you're really saved to be involved in all that. And if you're really saved, I guarantee you that it makes you miserable when you're involved in sin. And you'll want to turn from that and confess it. And right now, I want to give you a chance to just listen to God. If he's speaking to you, telling you, it's time. Let's make this right. Listen. Here, I want to tell you some things that I need you to adjust in your life. Would you listen right now as God speaks to you? Father, I want to thank you this morning because you promised that if we would confess our sins, you'd be faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And for those that confessed that this morning and said, oh God, I'm sorry, I don't want to be that way. I don't want to have that in my life. As they confess that, I thank you, Father, that you cleaned them up right there. And I pray, Father, they, that each one of us would want to so fill up with you that we just have the Holy Spirit just splashing and impacting those around us. Father, help us to then stay committed to you and listening to you for anything that would keep us from that right relationship the way you want us to have that relationship. And Father, I pray that we would constantly be in examining ourselves. For people this morning, Father, that, that don't know whether or not they're saved, that would say, I, no, I'm not, I don't know if I've done that or not. I'm not sure I've ever surrendered my life to him. I pray, Father, that we would apply 2 Corinthians 13.5. And that we would examine ourselves to see whether we're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that you're in Christ Jesus? Unless, of course, you fail the test. I pray, Father, that we would listen this morning. 
and that we'd be honest enough with you to admit if we have to say, you know what? I think I'm a lot like Bay's brother. I'm not sure I've ever surrendered my life to Christ. Yeah, I know it all in my head, but I've never put him in control of my heart, never given him my life. I pray, Father, for anybody that needs to deal with that, that they wouldn't put that off and realize that's the greatest decision they'll ever make. I pray that Indiana Wesleyan University would continue to be known as a school that lifts up the name of Jesus and have students that are serious about serving and honoring God with their lives in every area. Thank you, Lord, for this school, for what a blessing it is to hear such good reports all over about it. And for a school that I can recommend sending kids to knowing that they're going to get a quality Christian education. I pray that every person here would have a desire to, to get that type of education and to grow in their relationship with you and learn to love you more and more all of their lives. We love you and we praise you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for letting me share with you this morning. Have a great day.